Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in Southern Illinois is a man who was not deflated by missing the pregame show of the MLS Cup Final, Producer Mason. How are you doing today, Mason? I'm doing just great. Luckily, I was not witness to uh, any assassination of the trophy like what happened to Barney during that Macy's Day Parade. Ooh, glad that didn't happen. And also joining us at a location in St. Louis County is a man who's not afraid to strip down to his skivvies and do push-ups in a cold, pouring rain, Sean Campbell. How's, how are you doing today, Sean? Oh, I'm doing just dandy and can confirm. Not in the rain, but it has happened before at a high school football game, so... You you know I'm not I'm not joking about that one. That's the word on the street. You're not joking. <laughs> Whom amongst us, right? Whom amongst us hasn't done that? Now Daly has done it twice now, so you got to catch up on that. Don't let the old man get ahead of you, but you got years on him, so you got time. I don't know if I did that at a city game, I might end up on a list. So <laughs> we don't want that. I'm already on a list. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't keep lists. Well, I do, but then I forget where I put them, so what's the point? But we got a big show for you today. Got a lot of stuff going on. And uh, first of all, if you're listening to us, go ahead and subscribe to your podcaster of choice. And please rate and review the show. It really does help us out. Also want to invite you, if you have any questions, uh, ideas that you'd like to hear about on the show, or any feedback, you can contact us via email at soccercapital.com at gmail.com, and that's capital with the O-L at the end. You can also hit us up on Twitter at, at Soccer Capital, and we're also on Instagram. You can find us under Soccer Capital Podcast on that social media outlet. Not a lot of uh, things coming out with St. Louis City this week. Uh, did get a little information about the uh, U-17s, especially in their trip to California for MLS Next Fest. They were in the qualifiers for the Generation Adidas Cup that's upcoming sometime next year. Uh, They picked up two points over the three games that was in a a four-day window there. The first game, they took on uh, Red Bull New York, who play the exact same style that uh, Lutz has uh, been saying he's preferential to and that the Academy's been playing. Uh, They did lose in this game uh, 3-0 to uh, Red Bull New York. The it was a wide open game with a lot of pressing. Didn't really see the highlights, but I imagine it was quite chaotic because that's the way this sort of style is meant to make the game play. Uh, one of the things of a high pressing, high energy style is you can force turnovers or you can get beat if they beat your press. And that's what happened on the first goal of the game is that uh, Red Bulls got past the press from St. Louis City, got out in the open and scored a goal. Uh, one thing to keep in mind here, 0-3, it's like the worst loss, I believe, that the uh, U-17s have taken since the academy started play. But the Red Bulls have played in the same style and have been doing it for years. They have a very extensive academy. One Tyler Adams came out of there. And uh, they're also going vertical, play the same style up and down. They've been practicing it for years, whereas it's just been months for the academy kids for a uh, city so far. The next game, they took on the Portland Timbers Academy. They were able to eke out a 1-1 draw on that one. In this game, both goals were scored on penalties. In City's case, uh, Tyler Sargent, not related, 
Uh, drew the foul and a box, and uh, Miguel Perez was able to convert on that. That gave us a 1-1 draw there. And then uh, with one day's rest on the fourth day of uh, their their bit that they were playing at the Fest, uh, they got a 2-2 draw against the Chicago Fire Academy. Uh, there was a fast start for the U-17s in this one, but they did have a turnover in the seventh minute in the back, and that led directly to a fire goal. On the other hand, the high press worked in the 13th minute as they forced a turnover, and uh, Nathan Ferguson was able to convert there on that. It was the same all the way till halftime. They went in with the 1-1 draw there. Coming out, uh, St. Louis again was fast out of the gates. This was uh, said that this was the theme of all of it. That St. Louis came out hot and ready at the start. And in the 47th minute, Nathan Ferguson got his brace coming off of a corner. And uh, Chicago equalized in the 58th minute. St. Louis put on a lot of pressure. The Chicago Fire a goalkeeper was up to the task and it finished in a 2-2 draw. Uh, Nathan Ferguson, three goals in three games here. He's been really in form, and it's a name to watch as don't know where he is in line for the uh, LDL, uh, the U.S. Next Pro Team, if you can keep your MLS Next uh, lineup straight. Perhaps you should have a poster on the wall. We should have to make sure we know what league we're talking about here. Got to have a flow chart. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Uh, had some comments from uh, head coach Andreas Schumacher of the academy team. Uh, he did uh, mention that the team played the best that they have in this style. They're getting better and better, and that the uh, the results really didn't match the quality of play for the team on that. So they come out. They, Wonderful experience for the academy kids. They get to go to California, play against some tough competition with uh, some sort of meaningfulness to it all. Uh, but they're, you know, that's good for the academy. Get to see how they played. And for academy that just started, they've uh, held themselves up quite well so far in MLS next play. Yeah, good to hear from Schumacher that um, these are uh, results that don't flatter the style of uh, the play on the field for uh, the boys on their little California vacation, because just looking at the results, it doesn't paint a pretty picture. But knowing that they played better than just what you get from the stat line is good to know. Yeah, it's a good sign. Uh, one other little bit of St. Louis City SC news. Uh, the team did put out today that, uh, teased, I should say, that coming soon, there'll be the City Store and Cafe uh, being built on the complex, the campus, if you will, uh, where the stadium is soon is the timeline that we have now still have time though. That time is shortening. I was just noticing that we might be only about 14 months away from maybe 15 months, depending upon the schedule away from the first game of our beloved, but as of yet unseen St. Louis city. So something to look forward to. It's already been a long time, and we still got a while, a while, to, a while to wait. But uh, it, it keeps chugging along, and it's getting closer and closer, and we're so excited. I feel like a little kid the week before Christmas, and it's never, Christmas is never going to come. But that's all I got for St. Louis City this week. Probably going to be a little bit of news trickling in here uh, right before the holidays. Uh, 
with all of the focus with them, MLS going to be on Charlotte and their expansion draft and them coming in the league this year. But we'll see and we'll let you know anything we hear about, folks. The big thing in MLS this week is not the expansion draft. It is MLS Cup Final was played on Saturday in a cold, pouring, driving rain in Portland, Oregon. New York City FC flew all the way across the country along with 1,300 of their Hardy fans that made the trip for the game into a raucous Providence Park in Portland to take on the Timbers, and it was delayed. There was a little problem at the start of the game. There was a women's college basketball game on ABC who was carrying the game. I tuned in just before the game to see there's like a minute, a little over a minute left to go. UConn's up by four or so and shooting free throws. Well, they missed them. Come down. They missed the next two free throws. Turned it off. Lo and behold, like another 20 minutes it took to play that final minute to get the game over. So the whole, the whole setup was delayed. In this case, uh, they del- ended up delaying the start of the final by 10 minutes to accommodate uh, UCLA and UConn and the way they decided to play the final minute of their game. And one thing we missed live on TV was uh, they rolled out an inflatable uh, MLS Cup trophy out in the middle of the field. But with the wind and the rain, it had a little fail, would you say? It went a little flaccid in the cold as it deflated right there on the field and left kind of a mess for him to clean up. And that probably added to the delay as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I believe the term we're looking for is shrinkage. <laughs> it Thank was you, cold George that Costanza. <laughs> I just got out of the pool. <laughs> I guess uh, NYCFC should have brought some uh, some NYPD with them to stab the trophy like they did with that Barney float. <laughs> get it, Get this situation cleaned up a little faster. <laughs> Uh, we don't need any of that, inf- that shenanigans going on, that's for sure. But finally, after all of that, we finally got to the start of the game. Started off as a rather chippy affair. Teams were going at it. A lot of fights in the midfield, kind of chaotic. Uh, there was a lot of whining from NYCFC. The referee in this game on the pitch was uh, Armando Villarreal. Uh, he kind of let him play. He's been noted for being happy with yellow cards, but he didn't really flash him very early on, letting the team settle down. You don't really want to get players in trouble or tiptoeing around in a final, in a cup final like this. It's uh, it's good to let them play and let them sort them out. So I had no problems with that. Yeah, first couple of minutes felt like a Stanley Cup game seven where the refs just aren't calling anything except for, like, you know, puck out, puck out of play. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was definitely a like I liked I liked a, the start to the game. I think it was very indicative of an of an MLS Cup. You got the teams going hard. Uh, you're gonna get some chippy fouls in that situation, especially being in Concacaf. That's just what we do. Uh, ref letting them play, but that home field advantage was in full force. Uh, the Timbers fans were loud. They were excited, and you could see it really helping the players on the pitch. Um, and the rain just adds to it. It. It was a great setting for a great start for what I like. I liked as as far as a cup final game, so it was it was a good start. Pretty typical, tight. Portland a little timid on the offense. There was a little bit of conky caffiness to this game. Hard to say, much even harder to spell. Uh, Eleven of the twenty-two starters in this final 
were from South America, and all of the attacking uh, players on both sides were from South America. Kind of tells you where the talent flow is coming into MLS these days. One of those is uh, uh, Portland defensive back uh, Claudio Bravo. Uh, there was a point in the first half, I go, Bravo's having a really good game so far. Because he was up to that it point. He was until the 41st minute, and then he had a really bad minute there. Yeah. He picked up a foul in a dangerous position, giving up a free kick. And then on the ensuing set piece, he ran into a nice little pick, lost track of his man, who happened to be a golden boot winner, Tati Castellanos, who got his head onto it and got the first goal of the game in the 41st minute. That is the one player you do not want to let just run free in the box on a kick like that. And No, it is not. Lapse of judgment. <laughs> and Tati was wide open. Wide open on that. On the other hand, Claudio Bravo was not the only one to have a bad 41st minute. Uh, wasn't there somebody else that had a bad moment there, Sean? Oh, my goodness. Steve Clark just... He's he's got a history of in big games, you know, letting up a gaff real early, but this was this was pretty bad. He got a hand to the to the ball and tried to push it out, but just didn't get it forward enough and it just rolled real slow like into the goal. I I don't, I don't he think also I've got seen, a knee to it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I haven't seen anything this bad since uh I believe it was 2010 at the World Cup. What was his name? Robert Green, I believe. Oh yeah. Yeah, Robert Green. Oh, no, was that it was a bad one. Dempsey puts that roller through, and he just yep. roll through. He, he tries to just <laughs> shepherd it off to the side. It, it takes a skip and just rolls right behind him. I believe the technical term for this is wanging it. It was a real howler. Uh, Clark has a history of that. He's, he could come up with some great saves and great games, but every once in a while, there, there's there's the howler in him, and this was one. Now, in the ensuing celebrations was an ugly scene as uh, NYCFC go in front of their fans, and debris came flying on the field, hit uh, Jesus Medina. Uh, some reporters said they hit him in the chest. He grabbed his face and fell down. Conky caffiness. Uh, but anyway, there was no need for that. Later came out that actually the Timbers Army and supporters had tracked down the offending person or persons because there was multiple bits of debris being thrown. And I turned him in and they got kicked out and subsequently banned from the stadium. Uh, I would say that they probably should also be, uh, you know, prosecuted for assault for that. There is no part of that. As City goes forward, we want to be raucous. We want to be loud. We want to support our team. But there's no need for such violence. It's petty. It's shameful. And it makes a very, very proud and very good fan base in Portland look really bad on the biggest stage and what a shame yeah i mean i definitely believe that i think they got arrested so they may they may see charges but uh i don't know about you guys but when i saw that replay it definitely looked like it was a full can of we'll say beverage uh, i don't want to get shot down by the fcc but uh it hit him right in the cheek and not just the fact that it's embarrassing to be that fan but that really could have injured the guy like what if what if it had hit him one of the ends right in his eye? Like that could have been an absolute horror show. So that's that's not the kind of thing you want to see, as, even if it's a cup final. Like I understand you guys are getting loud and you're getting crazy, but I mean, leave it at the flares and the smoke bombs. Don't be throwing shit. Stuff. Sorry, stuff. 
Yeah, no, he yeah, he definitely got he took at least like a mostly full beer right to the face. Um, And uh, yeah, you don't there's a reason why people don't do 10 cent beer nights anymore. And it's this. (laughs) There's also a reason why MLB games, they pour them into a cup and hand a cup cup to you. Yeah, but then you get cup snakes. (laughs) They don't hurt as bad as a can of beer. I know. I've been pelted by both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that. Um, it is. It, it's easier to fill a cup with other bodily fluids, though. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, this has been the story in uh, Azteca and other places around Concacaf during qualifiers. Though I hear that those stories are exaggerated, but I still believe there's a big kernel of truth to that. Uh. Story of the first half really was, and the story of the game overall is, NYCFC's midfield just bossed Portland around. Uh, they really had the stroke of play. They got in the attacking half and did what they did all year. They bossed, they put the ball around, passed it around, gave themselves chances, didn't score a lot of goals, uh, but they had the lead 1-0 going into halftime. And their back line, their Callens and uh, Chanel, on the back line, along with Sean Johnson, was just snuffing out what few chances Portland had in the first half. Sebastian Blanco did come back from his hamstring injury and his back from his ACL injury as well this season. He started the game, but he was really ineffectual throughout. Uh, invisible would probably be a good term. Going the second half, it's very much the same. Uh, Portland still pretty shy. Nothing's changing. NYCFC pretty much bossing the infield, holding possession. Uh, NYCFC, one exciting moment was they got away on a breakaway. I don't remember who the player was uh, with that, but uh, Diego Chara, the 35-year-old holding midfielder and legend of the Portland Timbers, chased him down, took the ball away, got it back upfield. Incredible run from Chara there. It was really a thing of beauty. And then the, the great tackle to dispossess him, too. Oh yeah, I believe it was. Uh, I, I believe it was Maxi that was charging forward. Either him or, or the other Morales. I I could be wrong, but uh, no, Alfredo it's, Morales. It's, I think it was. Yeah, uh, but to see Chara make that run at that age and still catch them, I mean, I don't normally agree with what Taylor Twelman says ever, but what he like he could not stop talking about how great a run that was, and I agree with him one hundred percent on that. Chara absolutely saves the game and honestly i think that kind of you kind of see a little bit of a momentum shift there and then for the rest of the half it looked like portland's really starting to push and get some dangerous looks at least they got on a little bit at the end though they still seemed a little shy of the goal and for chara's case there's a lot of people saying he's the best defensive midfielder the league's ever seen ozzy alonzo might have a little bit to say coming chiping up in uh, minnesota as he's a few years ahead, but uh, Diego Chara is something else. And he is the epitome of the type of player uh, that St. Louis City need to try to find. Of course, they're very hard to find, but is exactly the kind of destroyer you need in midfield to fit into Lutz's preferred system for St. Louis City in the first season and seasons beyond. Also, Chara is a great member of the community as well, so quite a find for Portland quite a few years back. Portland really, uh, you know, they were a little bit more attacking. They always try to hold back, be conservative, and then hit on the counter. 
But they kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, their talisman, Diego Valeri, comes in in the 87th minute. Observers were wondering why it took that long. I was wondering why it took that long. I even said to you guys, I was like, I wonder how long he's going to wait to put him on there. Yeah, I couldn't believe it till it waited to the 87th minute. But immediately, Portland looked like that brought life into their team. And uh, they get into the end of the 90. There's four minutes of stoppage time. They get a set piece at the very end of stoppage time. And this is where the fun really begins. Uh, there's chaos after the free kick. It bounces around. And Felipe Mora gets, a, gets to it and puts it in the goal at 93 minutes and 53 seconds of the 94 minutes. Bedlam, bedlam in Providence Park. Uh, Tipper Joy almost too excited to actually cut that slab off of the log there as well. In the meantime, uh, defensive back Alexander Collins of, uh, of NYCFC is just livid with the official, with the ref on the field. He really thought he was fouled on this play uh, by Maviala. Oh, yeah. Him and him and Cheneau were just going after Villarreal, and I'm surprised they didn't get carded for for dissent on that. Honestly, livid, livid all the way through extra time because it did go to extra time when you score with, you know, the death on this. Uh, you know, lit him up. He was fouled, mm -hmm. but VAR looked at it. They didn't overrule it. There's no way you're going to overrule that on that goal at the end of a cup final like this was. Uh, it just doesn't, to do that, to out, to rule out that goal, it has to be really apparent. Uh, Orlando had that shout earlier with the DK goal that was disallowed at the death uh, at the end of the regular season, but this is MLS cup final. Yeah, it's the cup final. It's a little different for sure. Uh, MLS has definitely come out and said, yeah, we made some mistakes calling off or not calling things at late stages in the game during the season. But this, with the way that Villarreal was ref in the game, I don't think that's a foul he would have called necessarily. And I think VAR agreed with him on that and said, hey, this is, it's consistency for this game. Plus, it's the final, like you said. You just, it, to be, to, to mess, to, to change the outcome so drastically in that last second of the game i don't think i don't think pro would be able to come back from that without ever being you know they're going to be criticized for that across the league for a long time to come if they had flipped his call really difficult to say what the right call there was um i think what i said in the moment was um if nycfc had to put their hopes on a referee calling a foul at the very death of the game that's that's a little bit on you guys, isn't it? Maybe you shouldn't have put yourself in that position. Well, that's a little harsh. And yes, he was fouled, but yeah, come on. NYCFC bossed the game. They get down to the last minute and they've only got a one goal lead. They really should have had more. There's a lot to say there, even though they were far the better team throughout the course of play. So that's it. We go to extra time of the game. Not NYCFC was pretty emotional in this game, and it really seemed to take it out of them. They looked tired, especially in the first half of extra time. And Portland was putting them under pressure. Of course, that's a big boost in the crowd, of course, as you can imagine. And Portland was nutso. 
Uh, but Portland really only got one chance over the 30 minutes total of extra time. But it was a great one. Christian Paredes came in, got free, put in a shot, and Sean Johnson got down, made a great save. Fantastic save. And out of the 30 minutes of extra time, that was really the only thing that stood out to me uh, through all that. Yeah, NYCFC was about as deflated as that trophy was, but Portland <laughs> was not able to capitalize. Uh, NYCFC, after the uh, break of extra time, the last 15 minutes, did play better, but it finished 1-1. As is the theme of this year's MLS Cup playoffs, we're going to penalty kicks. Would you have it end any other way, honestly? MLS Cup on PKs, like... Glad I didn't have dinner reservations for this, <laughs> after the game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, went to PKs. Sean Johnson made two saves. Uh, Steve Clark made one. NYCFC just took their shots much better than Portland. And NYCFC won, win going away in PKs, and they are your MLS Cup champions for 2021, bringing the Cup title home to New York for the first time ever in the history of MLS. And the Metro Stars slash Red Bull New York has a sad right now after being an original franchise. That being said, the Red Bulls did bring the Supporter Shield home three times, so they've got their silverware. And us Supporter Shield truthers would say that that's just as important, but not everyone feels as a way as I do. Yeah, Red Bulls won the Supporter Shield before NYCFC even existed. I'm just going to come right out and say it uh, as a hockey fan. Supporter Shield don't mean jack until, unless you can win the cup with it. And uh, look at the Lightning a couple of years ago. I mean, they ended up getting their cup, but that's for another podcast. Yeah, but this ain't hockey. <laughs> well, I mean, this <laughs> the Supporter Shield there seems to be an albatross this season like the President's Trophy is. Nah, it's tough to win it all the way through. Uh, you got to grind and push for 36 games, and then it comes a, just a, a cup. It's a cup at the end is what it is. A hot team can win in that playoff push, but uh, you were the best team over months and months and months in the summer heat of uh, the U.S. In this case, uh, you know, I think they're both equally as important and one shouldn't be ruled above the other. Now, we mentioned earlier about uh, Sean doing push-ups in his skivvies, and the reason for that is when uh, New York City FC uh, head coach Ronnie Dahlia was announced and before his initial season, uh, he made a promise because he had done this back in the back in Europe that if they won the title, he would strip down and do push-ups on the field after they won. Little did he know it came he'd to have be. to make good on it <laughs> in the cold pouring rain of Portland. He did it. Uh, former ESPN stat guru Paul Carr uh, had the stat that uh, he did nine push-ups. There was no accompanying graph on that. And no, I'm making that up. I do not believe that Paul Carr came out with those stats. No, I could be wrong. Uh, so that was exciting. Sean Johnson did get the uh, MVP of the cup final with all of the falderall and hoopla that goes along with all that. Uh, one other takeaway from, let's say, the broadcast on this is at halftime, as usual, the commissioner, Don Garber, came on, got interviewed by Taylor Twellman. Had a few things to say, but uh, Twelman asked him the question about expansion, and Garber says what says always says more in these interviews than any other commissioner does. He, yeah. uh, <laughs> I think Donnie slipped up here a little bit. Yeah, he was mentioned some of the teams, but uh, 
He said uh, Las Vegas is the front runner for the 30th team. Then he went on a PR rant about that. We've got a great stadium project right there on the strip and all this stuff. And also mentioned that the the announcement, final announcement will be made in the first quarter of 2022. And in this uh, humble podcast host opinion, that's when you'll learn that Las Vegas will be the 30th team in uh, MLS. <laughs> I mean, because he definitely did not announce that Las Vegas was the 30th team right there. No, but... Yes, he, he didn't. He didn't <laughs> hide. He didn't hide much. And it's funny. Twelman always at halftime gets Garber to say something Garber probably doesn't really want to say. He's been around the league long enough. He knows how to work. Daddy Garber. He's got him around his finger. Yeah. Garber also knows he's he's got more sources than any other journalist out there covering the sport. Uh, so it, it's just funny. He always gets Garber to say more than Garber probably would like to. Donnie's ship being dashed against <laughs> the rock of Taylor Twelman. Uh, there's a lot of bad things about you could say about Don Garber, but he is more honest than any other uh, pro league uh, commissioner in North American sports. And I, I, I applaud him for that. That's certainly true. I have a lot more respect for him than union buster uh, Gary Bettman, that's for sure. Again, another podcast. That's another podcast. <laughs> another podcast, yeah. That's a different sport altogether. But, uh, so that's it. That was what we had for MLS Cup Final. That's it for the 2021 season of MLS. Uh, so just one more season to go before St. Louis City SC finally gets to take the field. And uh, we got some news about the first team, the team that's coming in in 2022, Charlotte FC. And we'll have news about that and the other going-ons in MLS, as, as well as a look at the roster for the December camp and the upcoming friendly for the U.S. men's national team after this break. See you on the other side. Welcome back, lovely listeners. Hope you uh, took advantage of the uh, break. It's, you know, saved cancer, preserved world peace, or at least grabbed a beer and had a trip to the bathroom like we did. But uh, we're back and we've got a quite a laundry list of news in MLS. It's that time of the year. Uh, right after MLS Cup, everything starts to happen in MLS. First of all, I wanted to pass along a little bit of uh, news about how popular or how much viewership MLS is getting on television coming into uh, the rights deal that they will be announcing sometime in the third quarter of 2022. Across ABC, which was the English language broadcaster in the U.S., uh, Unimas and Tedo Dan. A total of 1.5 million viewers of those, over 1.4 million were on ABC, and that strikes the highest non-primetime viewership of MLS Cup in history. So, upward trend again, keeps growing and growing, doesn't have to grow by huge amounts, keeps growing, that's big to know in the TV rights contracts with a couple of World Cups uh, in the short term for all that. Also, coming off of our information about MLS Cup, 
uh, Pep Guardiola had some nice things to say about uh, NYCFC uh, forward and Golden Boot winner Tati Castellanos. And uh, I'll let Sean Johnson, uh, Sean Johnson, hey, Sean Campbell, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what Pep had to say? Congrats on your new name, Sean. I mean, hey, yeah. I guess that means I, I better get ready. I might get called up to camp sometime soon. <laughs> get those gloves on, big boy. Hey, you can be that third goalkeeper for the national team. I mean, I did, the I did play backup goalie while I was playing soccer in grade school. I even scored a PK as goalie once. It was great. Um. But moving along, uh, yeah, after the game, it was released at the morning of our recording that uh, Pep Guardiola happened to say that he thinks that Tati is a guy who will take the next step in Europe and uh, basically called him, you know, said he's a quality player, thinks he'd do well over in Europe. And I mean, how much of this is just Citigroup talking to players on their other teams and how much of it is, you know, Pep actually talking about a quality player that has yet to be seen. Yeah, I I think there's a bit of PR there involved, but I do have to say that uh, Castellanos, especially in the second half of the year, he had a hot start, went very cold uh, in the middle part, and at the end of the year, he was a lightning in a bottle. And somewhere during this season, something really seemed to have clicked. It's not just the goal scoring. He does so much for that team. His uh, ability to create chances was at the very top of the league. So there is, um, you know, there's been interest, there's been rumors out there. And also, the amount of transfer fee for him isn't all that extravagant. Like, they're talking about Daryl DK and Ricardo Pepe being pushing $20 million. Uh, things I've heard is Tati could be had for, you know, 5 to $10 million less than that, which would be quite a steal. Yeah, it seems like a low price tag for him. Uh, he's he's still a young guy, too. Time to grow. So, haven't watched him a lot this season, but he looked really impressive in that final. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the I think the drop in transfer fee there is more than likely. He's he's a little bit older than Pepe, um, so they're paying a little bit less because it's less upside to pay for. But I could be completely off base on that one. It could be also that. Citigroup isn't looking for a big payday as much as other MLS teams are as well. That factor in the age has something to do with it. But it's also a little tip of the cap of what's happening in MLS. As we mentioned, the amount of starters coming from South America. There is a very real feeling amongst uh, South American talent, young talent, that the best way to get to Europe right now for them outside of Brazil is uh, to go to MLS. It's a very good way to go up, stay in this hemisphere, you know, get trips home. Uh, and it's somewhat comfortable for them, and uh, MLS is becoming a place to go. They still can get called up for international duty if they go to MLS. That's no longer a barrier as much as it used to be. So it's something to keep an eye on as we go forward. Other news, Pablo Mastriani after his internship with RSL was somewhat fruitful. Uh, he got the permanent role. He's no, no, no longer an interim coach. And FC Cincinnati have a new head coach. St. Louis's own Pat Noonan coming over from the Philadelphia Union system to join up with Chris Albright there. And uh, 
I guess that means Jim Curtin wasn't interested after all, but they got his assistant to come over. West County represent. That's right. Little uh, MLS just finished the half-day trade window. That was on Monday. A lot of booming. New Team Charlotte, the one we're keeping our eye on to see how things work before St. Louis City does this a year from now. Quite active, as you would imagine. Uh, They've got a lot of GAM and TAM, a lot of allocation money as an expansion team as City will do to play around with, and they've been using it. First thing off, though, uh, they did uh, reveal their kits. Uh, I'm not overwhelmed, but they're not ugly. I think they look pretty sharp. I'm not hugely impressed, but I like they're, them. They're nice, but yeah. they're they're nothing to write home about. It's a jersey. Yeah. It does. They got the white sleeves. It makes it look like from the 90s, you know, uh, in the NBA when they wore the T-shirts under their jerseys under that a little bit. Uh, it, it does a little bit, but I also happen to be partial to like that, that baseball tee style with the one color on the chest and the other on the sleeves because... I personally like wearing shirts like that. I have a couple from bands, so I'm not a big fan yeah. of having the solid color on the jersey and then the white on the sleeves because it reminds me too much of the team I don't like talking about from North London. But again, another <laughs> podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they do have the Carolina blue. No word yet from Duke fans. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm just hoping that they don't also wear the like baby blue shorts, so it looks like they're in like a onesie running around looking like big babies. Oh, that'd look that'd be great. <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> Do it for the first season. We'll be the babies their, of MLS. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's funny. Have you ever seen a grown man wearing all one color? It looks horrible. <laughs> no, I have his fans. name's we Don see Cherry. The Cardinals have that all red jersey, and that's just something else. And then there's the University of Oregon football team that comes out with the uh, epilepsy-inducing bright green colors all with the tops and helmet and pants and socks and cleats all matching. It's just (laughs) horrific. This jersey brought to you by Dan Flashes. Yeah. Especially if they ever play Boise State on that blue field and just send you into a grand mal seizure. They'd have to take it off the air like they did that episode of Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all for a couple of other podcasts. Uh. Some of the other moves uh, Charlotte made, they did utilize MLS's uh, under-22 initiative to bring in young talent from overseas and overpay, you know, go beyond the salary cap. They picked up a 19-year-old Brazilian forward, Vinicius Melo, from Internacional. Uh, The deal here is their new head coach, Miguel Angel Ramirez, uh, also coached at Internacional in Brazil, and there's been links to a couple other players from Internacional to come to Charlotte, so there's a little pipeline there. They did uh, ship off some of their allocation money, $500,000 to Nashville for two international slots. That's a lot. They must have somebody in mind, but keep in mind that... uh, at least part of the front office is Steve Walsh, who is the guy that uh, the scout that brought in Jamie Vardy and Red Morez and N'Golo Conte, amongst others, into Leicester City and turned them into shocking, surprising, and beloved uh, Premier League champions in 2015. Uh, they picked up 
LAFC discarded goalkeeper Pablo Cisnigia. Easy for me to say, harder to spell. That is a treacherous last name. Yes. Uh, 50,000 in GAM. Not a lot to say there, but every team has to have a goalie. A goalkeeper. Hey, you could try and play without one. I don't think it'd go very well for you. Uh, and there was another pickup, and I think Sean could tell us more about it. Uh, they also picked up for 100000 to 350000 with incentives in allocation money. Uh, right back, Jalen Lindsay from Sporting KC. What do you know about Jalen Lindsay? I thought he was part of their plans. Yeah, Jalen Lindsay's a, a very serviceable young-ish right back, uh, but... With the way that the team's looking with contract negotiations with Zeus again, it it just it's just not looking like he's going to get the starting time that he probably deserves. Um, but we were smart enough to retain fifteen uh, percent of the sell-on price, so if they ever move him, we get fifteen percent of that money. So that was smart on our part. But uh, I think this was a little bit more of them playing to the home crowd because he was actually from Charlotte area, so he's. He was listed as a homegrown for us, but he's really a homegrown for Charlotte. Uh, you love to see it, and I, I'm just happy to see him. He's probably going to get some some starting time, but he's very much a uh, – he's got some speed to him, and he's decent enough to make the start on defensively on the right side. So good move by them. We got some money, and it kept them from picking one of our players that we might be able to re-sign, hopefully. There is that. Uh, uh, also, he's been a little uh... – Injury prone, and the name escapes me, but uh, you've also got in your academy someone in his position who's performed, from what I hear, pretty well for the U-20s in their last uh, tournament they played in, uh, that they've got to slot him in. And Vermees, you know, he talks about the academy a lot, but he's not really noted for playing a lot of the young players uh, and really giving them a chance. So if you develop them, sell them on. Sell them on in the league. Collect that uh, allocation money, which doesn't have real-life equivalents. So if he hits 350 k and uh, to my mind, them trading him with these incentives, they think highly enough of him to think he's going to hit 350 k And that's not a bad take for a young player in this case. And if he does work out, it's a big pickup for Charlotte as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. But uh, with us effectively only having... One MLS ready ring back at the moment. Uh, I I have a feeling we may see some messing around with the uh, with the formation next season, but that's for next season. Yeah, there's been talk about that for a while there in Kansas City. One other note here uh, with the roster moves for Charlotte is we they did get the homegrown rights to Lindsay, so he is a homegrown now under the roster rules for Charlotte, and that helps with their build as their salary cap breaks for having a homegrown player. Something to keep in mind as we keep talking about the academy kids and uh, where they come up and with the uh, MLS Next Pro League. That could be important for uh, St. Louis City's roster build initially. need a goddamn economics degree to understand this. As we talked uh, last week with Moon Tower Soccer, as I said, there's 19 people in the world that understand, really understand roster rules in MLS. And there's going to be now uh, 28 teams in MLS. Tells you where and why certain teams are starting to distance themselves. 
uh, from the others in MLS. Too much funny money flying around. Too many buckets. I agree. It's it's all simplified. it's all Garber's monopoly money. That's all it is. It's their way of not falling in the trap of the seventies with New York dominating NASL and all the other owners trying to compete and basically folding the league because they all ran out of money. Uh, it's but part of keep, the enforced parity. It keeps expanding and expanding, and the, you put a lot of pressure to get higher quality, more players coming in. But the the owners that have bought in under this system, this franchise system, don't want to give up the cost controls on their labor, their players. Uh, so they just keep adding all these things instead of revamping the whole system and making it easier to understand and more workable. That's where we got. Other news. If you remember, we talked a lot earlier, a few months back, about uh, what the the shenanigans Inter-Miami played with having four to five DPs when you're only allowed three and got just whammed with allocation money fines. Well, Red Bulls New York kind of bailed them out. They picked up Lewis Morgan uh, for $1.2 million in allocation money. That pretty much wipes out the penalty for this year for Inter-Miami. Morgan's a good player. He's done well. Uh, 1.2 seems a little high for him, but there was probably a lot of teams that wanted him that drove the price up. Red Bulls don't spend a lot, you know, so they have it. Uh, the thing is, he plays as sort of a winger, and Red Bulls don't use wingers. Makes you wonder if they're going to be changing up a little system there at Red Bulls, or if they saw something in him that can uh, put him into their very specific system. That was interesting to note. LAFC uh, transferred out uh, one of the better players, more fun players to watch in MLS. Eduardo Atuesta is going to Palmeiras in Brazil. Uh, initially for $4 million transfer fee, $7 million uh, with incentives. Uh, one thing, Brazil is the one league in South America that is doing well financially can make these transfer moves. Uh, so it's a uh, with South America, they come in from Argentina, Uruguay, uh, you know, etc. Then they can be also transferred over to Brazil in South America. Nashville is a little active as well. They've got a couple of forwards for their attack. They picked up Ethan Zubak from LA Galaxy and TL Bombary of the New England Revolution. Don't have GAM numbers on that, but those names were notable. There was a lot of other movements, but these were the ones that caught my attention on this. I think that's probably a good idea for Nashville to try to bolster their attack a little bit because their defense was outstanding, but they could use some um, help up front, I think. I don't know if these guys are the answers. Uh, they were better in the attack, but... Uh... Bumberry and Zubek are options to change a game. Uh, so what their plans are, I don't know. Not a bad idea, at least, to try to mix it up, because they have a couple of good forwards, but that's about all they've got. We uh, deliberately recorded late here on Tuesday before we release this podcast so we could get information on the expansion draft for Charlotte FC. And we do have the news on that now for you, so we can break that early on Wednesday morning for you. Uh, 
they picked Mackenzie Gaines the second of uh, from Austin FC. He was famous for sh- scoring a rather spectacular goal against LAFC in a win for Austin over them. Uh, or was it LA Galaxy? One of the LA teams. Uh, he is from Austin. He was a great story for Austin. He gets per- picked first in the expansion draft. Word K came out earlier today that they were going to take uh, defensive back Anton Walks from Atlanta. They did so in the second round. They got five rounds. They could pick five players amongst uh, MLS teams. They picked up uh, defensive back Joseph Mora, MLS veteran, third round from D.C. United. And then the interesting things happened in the fourth and fifth. Another big name. Uh, they picked up Tristan Blackman from LAFC, who was then traded to the Vancouver Whitecaps. The trade nets Charlotte $350,000 in allocation money in 2022 and one hundred and twenty-five in 2023. And then the fifth round, they took Ismail Tajiri Shradi of uh, forward of your MLS champions, New York City FC, and then moved him, turned him around to ship him to LAFC for $400,000 in allocation money. That's a pretty good to turn, you know, get back for Charlotte after everything they put out in the trade window. Smart moves. And a good move for LAFC uh, picking up uh, Tajiri Shradi. He has 19 goals in four seasons. Uh, exciting attacking player. Could be useful with them and some movement that may come after Bob Bradley's gone. Also, the LAFC uh, thing also is tied into the Tristan Blackman draft. Two years ago, when they traded Walker Zimmerman to Nashville when they were expansion franchise for then a record-breaking amount of allocation money. Part of the rationale for the trade was that they had this young, exciting uh, center back, Christian Blackman, that they thought would be able to take his place. He never caught on. So now he's back, you know, being caught up in the expansion process in some fashion once again. And that pretty much wraps up all of our MLS news that we have. And there was quite a bit. One thing to keep in mind, there is a re-entry draft happening the first uh, level this week. It's for players who either are out of contract 22 years or older and uh, are either out of contract or released by their teams. So that's coming up uh, on the 17th, and uh, that's a convoluted. We'll go through all those rules, say, a year from now when it really affects St. Louis FC. St. Louis FC? What'd I say? You said St. Louis FC. <laughs> oh, yeah. Won't be the first time or the last time that such a slip's been made around the metropolitan area of St. Louis. It would be nice if it, affects, if it affected St. Louis FC. <laughs> I miss my club. <laughs> oh, you got another one coming. But moving on, the U.S. men's national team is will be in action this coming Saturday, 7 p.m. Central Time on FS1. It's a friendly against Bosnia-Herzegovina. A uh, nice tie-in to the St. Louis area with the Bosnia uh, friendly. And so many Bosnian uh, people of that descent in the area. Uh, interesting names on the roster to come in the December camp. Kind of a long camp, sort of a break-in time. Uh, this is not a very important friendly. It's more just to keep tuned up in between the uh, holiday window between uh, World Cup qualifiers. 
But uh, some interesting names. Uh, very heavy on domestic players, as you'd imagine. Uh, missing is Daryl D.K. and Miles Robinson. Greg Berhalter, the coach, uh, singled them out as specifically just needing a break and some rest. Also, Paul Areola, who returned after a knee injury and really was worked to death by Berhalter during one of the windows. He's not called in, and Sebastian Legette's not here. I understand Legette's sister had passed away, unfortunately, a couple of months ago while he's been playing for club and country, and he probably needs both a physical break and a mental break as well. Goalkeepers, on the lo- we'll just go through it by position, give you an idea what's coming up. No real preview for the game, because we don't know who's going to play, what it's worth. Really, it's a tune-up for a lot of the MLS players uh, that didn't make the uh, the semifinals of the cup, let's say. It's time to list some guys. Yeah, just a list of guys. Matt Turner gets called in. He'll get some work in the offseason because now Zach Steffen's going to be the one that's actually playing games for the next couple of months whenever he does play. Matt Turner's in his offseason, so he's here. A uh, couple of interesting young players here. Uh, Chicago Fire goalkeeper Gabriel Solina has been called in. He's 17 years old, and he is the starter for the Chicago Fire. He signed with the team as a 14-year-old uh, out of the academy. He's a very uh, very important name for the future of goalkeeping. We seem quite set right now, but that won't last. He's got a real chance to grow. And also the loss of David Ochoa to the El Tri, to the Mexican national team, who's a little bit older as well. So keep him in mind. And... Uh, Sporting Kansas City backup uh, John Poleskamp, who's had to play a bit this year with Tim Melia was out and in the past. Uh, they're both called in, and they're young players to keep in mind for goalkeepers. And also keep in mind, goalkeepers tend to be a little older when they develop, so having young goalkeepers being called in is always a good thing. For defenders, you got the, your national team regulars, let's say. You got George Bellow, who's been called up quite a bit, Walker Zimmerman, who's turning into a regular, and uh, Henry Kessler, who has been called in uh, oftentimes when they need a replacement at the end of a window because of injury or whatnot. Another uh, defender called in is Aaron Long, the Red Bull New York center back, long a fixture of the national team, ruptured his Achilles tendon uh, while on duty. Uh, has been out for quite some time. He gets called in. He's going to get some work. I don't know how healthy he is. Don't expect to see him play. Maybe a little bit, but mostly get a lot of work in on his legs during the offseason. We've got uh, young center back process, uh, prospect Justin Shea of uh, Dallas FC, or FC Dallas. Also long linked with Bayern Munich, who has an agreement with Dallas about their development. Uh, he's in. A lot of people looking forward to see him play, and he's very young. Brian Reynolds, who was called up from the FC Dallas Academy to replace Reggie Cannon when he got his transfer over to Portugal a couple of years ago, did quite well in MLS, shockingly got a transfer to Roma in Serie A, and things looked up for him until they hired Jose Mourinho uh, this year. He's now a Mourinho's doghouse and has been is so much so that he was allowed to leave in the middle of the season to come to this camp. Uh, there is a couple of players from the USL Championship called in. One is a Louisville City 
Jonathan Gomez. He's been called in, though he is on his way to Real Sociedad in uh, in La Liga in Spain, uh, which was news gathering at the point because you could jump from the USL now in America over to a big five in Europe. And Orange County SC's Kobe Henry, also from USL. Didn't Orange County win the championship? I believe that they're currently the He's games. been called in as well. Also, a couple of uh, MLS stars, Austin Trusty from Colorado, Brooks Lennon uh, from Atlanta, and Kevin Paredes coming from D.C. United. Really interested in seeing these guys play. I think they don't know if they'll ever break through, but I'm interested in seeing them. It's a deep pool of defenders in camp, too. Yeah, there's a lot of defenders on this list for one friendly. Which brings us to the midfielders, which is a pretty short list, surprisingly. Uh, Kellen Acosta's here, as is Christian Roldan. You get Johnny Cardoso, who has had his run in with the national team in the past a little bit. He's uh, with Internacional, that we mentioned earlier in the podcast in Brazil. Uh, the team's at the end of their season down there. Uh, they're stuck in mid-table. He's been released to come to camp. Uh, Jackson Ewell's back, trying to find the form that he had a couple of years ago when he caught the eye with this passing from Greg Berhalter, which he has completely lost this year, both for club and country. And the exciting young prospect from uh, Colorado, Cole Bassett, also gets called up and gets his chance to see what he can bring to the national team. Uh, again, uh, somebody I don't think is really going to break in, but let's see what he's got. And he's still young. Could be a late bloomer. He actually had a transfer to play in the Dutch or Belgian league. I forget which one, but they were going to put him in the second division, and he chose to stay with Colorado for the playoff run this year. Forwards, a little interesting here. You got the Jossi Zardes, Ricardo Pepe, Jesus Ferreira are all getting called back in. Ferreira was with the in the last uh, qualifying window. Uh, they get to keep their work up now that the MLS season's ended. Jordan Mortis is back. He's not just back for the Sounders. He's in this camp coming back from that second ACL injury. Before that injury, he was quite important and quite electrifying for both the Sounders and the national team. So getting he's already got some legs, some minutes in him, some games with the Sounders. In the playoffs, he got uh, 90 minutes plus, which was more than expected in their uh, loss to RSL. Uh, so it's good to see Jordan Morris back. It, it makes you feel good. And I think he really is somebody that could bring something to what is a... It's going to be hard for him to break into the winger spot, but he has the talent and the ability to do that. A couple of uh, exciting teenage prospects in MLS. You've got Caden Clark, played for Red Bull New York. He's actually now going to be going to uh, RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga. And uh, Kay Kell, uh, the exciting winger from uh, the San Jose Earthquakes, will get called in to see what they could bring to the team. And uh, another exciting one I, I'm interested in seeing, because I've heard about but I haven't seen, is Taylor Booth, who's playing for Bayern Munich uh, 2 in the 2 Bundesliga. Or is it 3 Bundesliga? I forget. But he's been quite informed. Been some buzz around him. It's good to see him get it called in and get a look at here. And that's pretty much uh, your roster. 
don't know how these kids are going to play. It's a friendly, unlimited substitutions. Probably a lot of them are going to, get, going to get a run out at some point. Some were just brought in to get a taste of camp. Uh, you've got the uh, Caden, Cade, Cal contingent all here in force. And we'll see what happens on Saturday. It's just a friendly. The way I see it going is, you know, you see the regulars get the start just to get the late, the minutes in them. And then, you know, at halftime, you see a lot of the guys that caught Greg's eye get their run out in the second half. And if they're just not cutting it, you'll see someone else get get subbed in halfway through the second half, just so everybody gets a minute or two here or there if possible. Um, I don't, I mean, there's no reason for us to not take this quote unquote seriously, but I don't see us taking it too terribly seriously. No, it, people got left off, whatnot. It's in the middle of most seasons. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I do think Caden Clark and uh, and Kay Cowell will probably see, definitely. I think Greg is interested in both of them, and they've got something to bring. Uh, Jordan Morris really want to see what he does, and I do believe he's going to get run out, if at least as a substitute. And uh, Justin Jay. I think uh, people really want to see him. He's very young as a center back. They develop later. Uh, a lot of interest in him. I think we want to see what he brings. One note with being light in the midfield, you know, we're light with backups at the eight, the uh, defensive midfielder. We've got a great one in Tyler Adams, but he plays so hard he's often injured. We got Kellen Acosta, who has proven to be a capable backup, but he's so up and down that when he's off, it can be a disaster. We don't have anybody after him. We're looking at Jackson Ewell, who really had a disastrous summer. Uh, James Sands, possibly, to fill in. But you could have thought that there might have been somebody younger to bring in. There's not a lot of names out there, to be honest. But uh, it's something I noticed off of this list. And with all the forwards coming in... One notable absence since he's fit and seems to be healthy and played is there's no Josie Altidore. And if he can't make it in the December camp, I got a feeling his time is pretty much done with the national team. Though he's been around a long time, he's not that old, per se. And there's a lot of things that he does with hold-up play and passing out of the hold-up that could be useful. But I guess the, the time, the ship has just passed for him. His time is over, and he did quite well that with his time. Has sailed. Yeah, yeah. I think he just got hurt one too many times, and uh, Greg's looking to the future now. Yeah, as well he should. The whole team's young. Bring them all up together. If uh, see what they can do in twenty twenty two. First, get there, and then see what they can do. But really, we're going to be eyeballing twenty twenty six. Mexico is also eyeballing twenty twenty six. It's going to be going to be fun when the games come over here in that year with two exciting teams to host Europeans and South Americans to come in and see what they can do. Plus a couple of African teams as well. And can't even say just two teams. Uh, the Canadians, Canadians are yeah. ramping up as well. Yes. So something to look forward to. I don't have anything else in this show to look forward to. I think that's pretty much covers everything. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> we've we've talked your ear off long enough. I yeah, think. <laughs> it's long enough. We'll give you a week off, and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, in seven days when we come back and follow up on the friendly uh, schedule over the holidays, we got a couple of things in mind, but we're not sure. Uh, possibility that uh, we might take a week off. 
we might know more by next episode. If not, you can catch us on Twitter or uh, on uh, Instagram and let you know there. One thing we do have to say is it's our 25th episode of this show. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, We are actually talking to quite a few more people than we actually thought we would be this far in advance of the season. We appreciate your feedback. We appreciate your loyalty. We appreciate you very, very much. And that's all I have. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.